If you would turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we're entering into this Christmas season, we want to look what happened. Luke chapter 1. We will begin in verse 20, just a moment. But one day, a devourer lost his favorite Bible. Absolutely just lost it. And he lost it while he was on a spiritual retreat in the mountains. And he was absolutely devastated because it had all his notes. It had his written little some sermon outlines, some little things in his margin, which he just had collected all his life, lost his faith, absolutely just lost his faith. Three weeks later, a dog walked up to him after the church service, and in that dog's mouth, there was his Bible. The preacher couldn't believe his eyes, and he looked down at that precious book, pulled it out of that dog's mouth, he raised his eyes heavenward and said, It's a miracle. Not really. Your name is written on the inside cover. <laughs> now, is that story hard to believe? Well, yeah, it is hard to believe. A talking dog. Yeah. But there's another story like this. That is pretty hard to believe in and of itself if you don't have any kind of church background or Christian at all. Is this thing going out on me, Seth? Okay, so I'm just going to use this. All right. That means I can't move and be have aerobics in the pulpit like I normally do, so I'll just stay behind the pulpit. I want you to think about this story. You're talking to a person who is not been raised in church, doesn't really know much about Christianity, and you tell them, hey, we believe that a virgin had a baby, and that baby will be fathered by the Holy Spirit, and that baby will save his people from their sins. Now, most folks would think, well, that, that's, that's nuts, a virgin having a baby. But that's exactly what we are told to have faith in, which is our theme for the second week of Advent. It's faith. Last week, we talked about hope. Our text today describes a faith encounter. And I want us to look at that this morning. Verse 26, I will read the whole section. We'll go to verse 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, 
how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of this, uh, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So as we look at this story, we're going to be seeing a story of faith. So we see the first section basically says, here's the angel's appearance. This was Gabriel. This is God's messenger. We don't have in the scriptures many angels that are named. In fact, just two. We have Michael and we have Gabriel. Michael was the warring angel. Gabriel was the messenger that was sent to people to give them messages. And so the angel appeared to this virgin, it says in verse 27, to a virgin that is betrothed. Now, what does that mean? In the Jewish faith, in the Jewish tradition, usually when a young girl was 13 years old, she was eligible to be betrothed. And oftentimes they were. Many times they were. They were arranged marriages, in other words, at 13 years old. That's like saying, Gwen, you're 13, correct? That's like Gwen coming home to Allison and Josh and saying, Mama, Daddy, I'm engaged at 13. Mama and Daddy would probably be a little shocked, right? You know, that I'm engaged. But basically what that means is that she was betrothed, but not necessarily would she go and live with this husband at this time. She would stay there. But that husband, the soon-to-be husband, would make preparations, and they would then be married a year later at the age of 14. At the age of 14. We get shocked about that today, but think about your grandparents. Think about how old they were when they got married. I know my granny got married when she was 15. Had my mom when she was 16. Uh, they were best friends because it's ba it basically people saying babies having babies, you know. And that wasn't uncommon even here in America where people were getting married, young ladies getting married at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old as they could. And they then sometimes would be marrying people who were a, a lot older. For example, some of the Jewish people and some of the Jewish men, when they were betrothed, were already in their 20s. So we don't know how old Joseph was. We don't know if he was a teenager, probably not, but that he was a good bit older than her, but she was betrothed and probably married at 14 years of age, which means she either had Jesus when she was 13 or 14. That's amazing, 13 or 14. Women, think about that, having a baby at that age. But one of the things is Gabriel is sent and he's appeared. He appears to them in a very humble place and appears to a very humble person. That's what God does. He does great things in humble places and with humble people. 
And we know that from the scripture because he says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. That's what he does. And so we look at this and we see that God's plan, as we talked about last week, from the beginning of time, his plan was to save a people that will worship him. And we see that pattern, that covenant pattern, all the way through the Old Testament. And he said it through his prophets, gave them hope. And that hope now is being realized here. God always initiates his purpose. He never strays from that. And in this passage, we see that. God initiates his purpose in the lives of his people. He initiates his purpose in you. When you were saved, it was not something that you initiated. It was something that he did. It was something that he did that started it from the beginning and ended it with your salvation and continues it continually until you're called home unto the Lord. And so what we need to understand is that God came and at Christmas time our focus needs to be not on us but what God's plan and purpose is. For example, God is always revealing what he intends to do. He revealed it to Joseph and Mary, and he's going to reveal it to you. What God is doing is always more important than what his people are doing for him. Let me say that one more time. What God is doing is always more important than what his people are doing from him. So when we come to our Bible and we read our Bible, we don't need to read it and say, what's in this for me? What we need to read it like is to say, what has God done? What is God doing? What is God going to do? So that should be our emphasis as we're looking at that. So... We come to this, God reveals himself to Mary, and he basically says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that little word favor is a Greek word called charis. It's a root word that's used in this, in this passage. It basically means this, Greetings to you, one who has been graced by God. One who has been graced by God. In other words, the initiation of grace begins with God, and now he has chosen Mary out of all these women he could have chosen. He chooses Mary for his very own to says, you have been graced by God. In other words, God's grace is given to whom he desires to give it. We will learn that later on in Romans chapter 9. But for right now, Mary is the object of his grace. But we see not only this angel's appearance, we begin to see Mary's astonishment. Now, who wouldn't be? When that little word is said in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. In the Greek means to be distressed, to be very much upset. Think about this. Here's a 13-year-old girl minding her own business maybe sweeping the floor, maybe worshiping, maybe praying, whatever she may have been doing, and all of a sudden, boom, an angel shows up and says, I'm Gabriel. Now, that would confuse and distress and upset most everyone, and that did the same thing to her. And that upset condition 
was also accompanied by fear. How do we know that? Because in the next few verses, what does he say in verse 30? Do not be afraid, Mary. Every time you had an encounter with an angel in the scriptures, dear friends, if you read through it, 99% of the cases, people did what? Were afraid, they fell down, they worshiped, whatever they did. They were afraid when an angel showed up. So when you hear stories or read stories or watch stories on TV where people said, and angels came and showed up at my place and we had this great conversation, be careful. Because most of the time people were so frightened in the scriptures that they fell face forward in front of this angel because it was a manifestation of the presence of God because they came from his presence to them. She was favored. She was astonished. It upset her. But then the angel gave her this announcement. He gives her proof of divine favor. He says, you will have a son. In the Jewish faith and Jewish tradition, the highly favored one was the male child. Now, that's not to slight anyone, you know, or the women or anything else of this nature. He said, it just, it was because it carried on the family name. And so when that woman had a son, it was a, they considered it an extra special blessing. The son, quote unquote, was the golden child. Y'all had a brother like that? Or someone like that, ladies? I went to a funeral of a classmate this last week. Um, unfortunately, I came from a class with 526 people that graduated in our class way back in Pasadena. And right now we are dropping like flies. This is about the sixth one that has passed this year in my class. And it was interesting that each person, each person of the family, a member of the family spoke at her funeral. Two daughters, two oldest daughters, and two sons. And the older children kept referring to the golden child that would come up in just a moment, the youngest son, you know. And uh, they kind of made fun of each other. It was really a funny funeral based upon the stories they told about my classmate, uh, Cindy. And so when it got to the youngest sons, we were all anticipating, anticipating what was happening. And he said, I, I just need to change. I need to change how y'all view me. My siblings think that I am the golden child. And he said, I, I beg to differ. I really beg to differ. He said, I'm 35 years old. I have two kids. I am the golden man. And so, we, okay, here he is. He's going to have a son. She's going to have a son. Quote, unquote, if you could say the golden child, this is the proof, a divine proof of favor as the Jewish community considered that. It says that he is going to be given a name. It says his name is going to be Jesus, right? You shall call his name Jesus. So he was already named. According to the Jewish tradition, this is a sign of blessing, says he will be superior to all. He will be great. Verse 32, he will be great. He is going to be superior. Even the book of Hebrews says he is more superior than the angels. He is going to be superior. 
He already has a divine title as it's given to him, verse 32, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, the Son of David. It goes on. He's got that divine title. But he's also there, this announcement says, he will reign sovereignly from a throne representing kingship. He will be a king. God will give to him the throne of his father, David, verse 32, and he will reign. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Folks, we are experiencing the kingdom now. And of that, there will be no end. He is already reigning from the right hand of the father. He is reigning. We are a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. We are the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. He reigns over the kingdom. So we see the angel's appearance, Mary's astonishment. The angel goes on and says, here's the proof of my message. This is what's going to happen. And now we see Mary's assumption in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is not a statement of doubt. When you go to the further into the first part of the book of Luke, we see Zechariah, an angel, pops up, standing at the right hand of the altar, and talks to Zechariah and says, you are going to have a son in your old age. He is struck deaf, mute, in other words, struck mute, because of his unbelief. He says almost the same thing, but it's a different structure. His was kind of like this. Yeah, right. How's that going to happen? I'm old. No way. And because of his unbelief, he couldn't talk. You know the story. And he's told that he's going to have a son. They're going to be John. He's going to be the forerunner of Christ. In this case, Mary is already assuming, okay, this is going to happen. Can you explain to me how this is going to happen now? It's an explanation. She's asking for an explanation. She's already assuming she's going to conceive. She just wants an explanation. Well, okay, great. How's that going to happen? And the angel gives her an answer. We see it in verse 35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. In other words, here is this divine nature that's going to be passed down into the life of Jesus Christ. You're going to have that. It's going to be born. It's not going to be of a sin nature. That's a whole new theological study. We won't go into that, but it says this is going to be the Son of God. Your relative is also conceived. It says nothing is impossible for God, Mary, so nothing's impossible for, for you. This is going to happen. And now we see Mary's acceptance. And this is where faith comes in. Mary says this statement. Let it be to me according to your word. And before that, what does she say? Behold, I am your servant. O Lord, I will do whatever you say. Here's what she is saying. She is expressing faith as a supernatural reliance and confidence in God. 
Someone has said that faith is present-day confidence of a future reality. That's what she expressed. That's what the author of Hebrews states in chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word, assurance, in the Greek is a word called hypostasis. It means to stand under. In other words, it's a foundation that has been built, a firm foundation. Faith has a firm foundation, and that foundation is God. So therefore, to exhibit faith, to exercise faith, means to take God at his words. So Mary's faith, I want us to look at that just real quickly. Mary's faith tells us first, this was divinely implanted in her, because faith is a gift from God. We think about how we're going to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. This is a gift of God. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. This wasn't something that she could believe with her natural mind. She asked for an explanation. This is not something that she could believe with her natural mind. It wasn't a natural faith. And folks, understand this. Everyone has natural faith. Everyone exhibits that. We drink water every day from bottles, from our tap, from wherever we get it, and we believe naturally that it's not tainted. We come and sit down in pews that you believe are going to hold you up. You see a chair, you go and you say, I am tired, I sit down. We naturally believe those things are going to do what we believe they're going to do. It's a natural faith. That's what we need to understand. We have it. This wasn't a natural faith. This was a spiritual faith given by God. Why? Because the Apostle Paul gives us this word. He says, the natural man in his natural mind does not understand the things of the Spirit. This was a spiritual thing that was happening to Mary. You see, natural faith will rest on the object that is not necessarily reliable. It's not necessarily reliable at all. You ever sat in a chair that you thought was going to hold you up and it didn't? Or you drank water that was a little bit tainted? Or you actually believed a politician would do what he promised he'd do? Yeah. See, natural faith will rest on an object that is not necessarily reliable. That's what it does. So natural faith trusts what the mind can fathom. It trusts what the mind can sense, what the mind can see. So if faith is a mere function of the mind, we can have no real assurance because the mind can be deceived and the mind can become confused. In fact, oftentimes in the scriptures, mind and heart are interchangeable. That's why Jeremiah says the heart, the soul, everything about man, his mind, his will, his emotion is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But real faith goes above the functioning of the mind. It is a conviction that what is unseen is actually reality. That's what Mary saw. How can these things be? Well, angel answers her. And this can only be given by the Spirit. 
Second thing this tells us about Mary's faith, it tells us it manifests itself in a life that lives out its beliefs. A commitment to live out the belief that she has. She says it, let it be done to me. And folks, understand this. Here's the truth behind this. We will do what we believe. We do what we believe. Think about that. Ask somebody if they pray. Say, yeah, yeah, I believe in prayer. They say, okay, but do you pray? And if they say no, then they really don't believe in prayer because we do what we believe. Spiritual faith, saving faith, manifests itself in living out your beliefs. She knew that this was true. An angel showed up. She knew who she was having. And later on in the life of Jesus, we see that that Mary knew and Mary believed who the Son of God was when she goes up to him at this wedding and says, hey, um, they've run out of good wine. Why did she do that? Because she knew who he was and she knew what he could do. And even though he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? What does he do? He says, my time has not yet come. But he goes ahead anyway. And he changes water to wine. She knew that. She pondered things in her heart through the scripture. She knew it because she had given birth to the Son of God. And she lived out those beliefs. So what does that mean for us? What's the lessons that we take away from this at this Advent time? Here it is. God is still taking the initiative to fulfill his purpose by bringing people to himself. He uses human agencies to do that. That's why he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why he tells us to preach the gospel. He uses human agencies to spread the word and to do that. He is still taking the initiative to create faith in people as they hear the gospel and he uses human agents. He comes to a human being, Mary, and says, you will have the Son of God. That's an agency. And that's what God is doing still. He is taking the initiative to fulfill his purpose of bringing people to himself. The question is, do we believe he will use us to do that? Christmas time is a great time when there's a gathering of family when you know that you have people in your family who do not know the Lord. It's a great time to say, Lord, use me, like Mary said. Use me, Lord, so that I can share the gospel with some of my family no matter what happens, no matter how they may ostracize me, how they may condemn me, they may reject me. Use me, oh Lord, in their lives so that they would believe. The question then comes, do we believe he will use us? Second thing is this, examine your faith. When you were saved, did you just merely give mental assent to Jesus or was it an encounter that changed your life? Folks, Mary's life would never be the same from this encounter that she had with this angel. 
never be the same. That's what God does. When we come to him because he has first come to us, he first loved us, that's why we love him, it produces a change. There is no easy believism as spoken in the Bible. There is none of this just believe and then everything's going to be okay and maybe one of these days you will make Lord of your life, make him Lord of your life. No, when God comes into the life of a person, it changes that person and they are a new creation, an absolutely new creation. There's a preacher just recently that's preached a sermon and he got a lot of backlash because he said, when we come to know Jesus, it really doesn't change us. It just makes us into the person or shows us the person who we were supposed to be. What Bible is he reading? Because when a person comes to Christ, it says in the scripture that he is a new creation. So we have to continue to examine the faith to see whether we are in the faith. Has your life been changed forever? If not, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Third thing, last thing is this. Supernatural faith lives out its beliefs. Why are we here this morning? Because we believe in Jesus Christ. Why are we here? Because we believe we have a mandate to come and worship Jesus Christ weekly, coming together, meeting together, because we are called out ones. We are the church. Why are we here? We're living out our belief. That is what we do as Christians. We live this thing out, and we do what we believe. So what we have to say is this. We need to celebrate at Christmas time. We celebrate because we have been given faith that faith will live out its belief and we can act that out by honoring him and acknowledging him during this season before our family, before our world, our acquaintances, whatever it may be, we will honor him by doing that. So would you engage and will you engage with believing in him and what he says to you from his word? Will you give yourself to some prayer this season, making your request known unto God and say this, Lord, let it be to me as you have said. I am your servant. That's what we're representing at this Advent time. We have the hope. We know that we have hope. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. But if we are in the faith, we are to share that faith. We are to live that faith. We are to glorify God because of what he has done and what he has initiated in us. And that's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. We live out our faith. So, folks, as we do this real quickly, since I don't have a microphone, we'll do this. We light the candles of Advent season. The first one representing hope. We have hope in Christ. The second, we have faith in Christ and faith in God and what he said to us in his word.
We exhibit that faith by living it out on a daily basis. So this week, you have some things within your worship guide that we've given you. I hope that you're celebrating, you're getting something at your house to celebrate each day of the week of Advent, that you're reminding yourself that you're playing Christmas music. Good Christmas music, folks, please. Good Christmas music. Okay. Let me give you a little thought about music just real quickly. Okay. I am not one of those who, who only listens to Christian music. Okay. I discern music as this. It's either good or it's bad. It's not Christian, unchristian. It's good or bad. There are a lot of secular songs that are good music, uh, wonderful music, great music. But there are some songs that have good tunes that have bad lyrics and bad stuff that probably needs to go away from us because it doesn't do anything to build the faith. So when you're listening to Christian music and you're listening to those words of faith, make sure it's good Christian music as you listen to these things. Prepare your heart for this season so that when the 25th rolls in upon us, we have been preparing and we can worship in spirit and in truth. Prepare your hearts by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor that you came to one, an humble person, in an humble place and said, you are my chosen one. You are my favored one. And Lord, we thank you that we can read this and see that when we came to faith, we came because you favored us. You graced us. Because of the birth of your son Jesus we, and his death and his resurrection, oh Lord, we now have faith because we've trusted in you. So Father, help increase our faith. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to live out this faith on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment -moment basis with you. Strengthen it, Lord, so that we may worship and glorify your name. Bring people across our paths, O oh Lord, through a divine appointment that we might be able to share our faith with them. And Father, we pray during this season that their lives will be changed by the word of God as they place their faith and their trust in you. So, Father, I pray that you would use this congregation, use me, Father, to share the gospel and the true meaning of Christmas with someone who is lost and dying. So, Father, I pray that you would bless again this congregation as they go from this place. Lord, that they would go in faith, and as they live it out, they would glorify you daily. And it's in Jesus' name I ask.